Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience for physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. J3U podcast. I'm your host, John Jewett, and with me is co-host Luke Miller. Today, since Luke and I are both in the offseason, Luke's in his extended offseason forever. <laughs> I'm in an offseason of, of that I haven't been in a very long period of time. So, But with the holidays around and also a lot of people finishing out contest prep for the year, we want to talk about offseason, what to do to get the most out of it, how to manage your offseason, and just the whole conversation that like from coming off stage and what direction should we be heading? What should we be pulling from, from contest prep into our off season and what areas can we have some changes that we didn't have in prep yet still have the outcomes around off season towards our goals that we do want in place. Yeah. And I think one of the, the big things to kind of like touch on that is like setting the stage for progress, right? Like where are we at now and what needs to happen because that timeline is important um, with the way that we run the rate of off season, like, and, and how far we push up because if we're kind of like you, where it's like shorter off season, possibly back into a contest prep pretty soon, it's like the, the levels that we push it to are going to be a little bit different. So like mapping out that estimated timeline, is, is pretty good of having a general consensus of about approximately where we're going to be giving a show another run to kind of start with like a needs analysis and like mapping out what body parts need to be addressed, how far can we take it up in order to address these issues and things along those lines to kind of like start to set the framework. Yeah, I think um, to have a productive off season and on the tail end of it, the back end when you finally get back on stage, making sure you had a long enough off season. And I, I feel like it's really easy to get in the competitive of, of that you need to be competing every single year. Um, and then even your post-show period for a lot of people doesn't even count towards a true productive off season period for many. It's just this whole like recovery set and it's different for everybody, but yeah, you're right. Like you need to map out, what should that timeline look like for the type of improvements you need to make? And it's definitely level dependent. So if you're earlier on your bodybuilding career, you could grow potentially faster, but also you probably need a longer period of time to grow like more overall size. So that might mean sitting out for two years. Someone might sit out for three years. Um, but if say you are an Olympia level competitor and you're doing this Olympia every single year. You've already developed a lot of size. Maybe you don't have as many improvements. Maybe it's just like a couple body parts to work on. Then you have a much shorter time frame to work within. Uh, so, yeah, those those are considerations. To, like, give you framework here, like for me, um, I've been doing this, the Olympia, every year. With it shifting around, it's made it hard to have off-seasons because it will move closer or later, and then I'm already competing and picking out my shows. So, with what for this year, um, I had like seven, eight pounds of stage weight to add and looking at my timeline is what I was looking at. How, how long would it take me to add that? So I for sure wanted like eight to 10 months of solid off, off season work, um, not counting a little bit of these post show period. And then, so that kind of then counting in how many weeks of prep would I need? And that's like, well, man, all the way to the end of the year, that's where that pushes me back to. So at least having nearly a year to do so 
which would be me competing probably in Romania, like in November. So now I have a solid 12 months to have that off season time. Um, and that gives me like, we're planning out, you know, my push-up phases, holding phases and prep phases in that sense. But again, it's going to be different for everybody. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, we can, we can kind of reference people to the, the, the post contest stuff that we've done in the past to kind of go through that first portion of the off season where you're setting up the productive off season and kind of move into like those variables that are going to be present when we're actually like starting to push the envelope with like pushing weight up and, and, and pushing size up and those kinds of things. Um, and commonly like we see the introduction of PEDs be one of the, um, portions of that phase that we need to start to make sure that we're paying attention to not letting things slip here. Uh, this is where I see a lot of people start to kind of let the all season slide start to happen, right? Like they were so structured during contest prep and their day-to-day routine was like on point cause it had to be for them to fit everything in. And then from there you start to see like cardio starts to not get done. Veggies is not added to the meals. We're not taking blood pressures and blood glucose values. And like it's a slow trickle effect where the level of execution drops drastically. Um, and I think that there's a mentality approaching all season that should be present that's almost like a non-differential relative to a prep setting in our day-to-day. Yeah, no, I, I, I see that too. And I, I've, hell, I've done it. You know, it's um, even with like last year, whenever I did have an off season, like step count was one to drop off because you start getting more productive at work. You're like, Oh, I just got to, and you take on more work. And you're like, I just got to get this little bit extra done. I'm not going to do this walk after this meal. And then that step count will slowly decline. Then it's like, it changes the, my calorie intakes a little bit more and those little things just add up and slip to you're like, Oh man, I've had a few weeks of like adding more body fat on, that, that I that I want to that kind of takes away a little bit of, of the duration of my off season before I, you need to like pull down a little bit. So yeah, what you said, like the a lot of the habits that we pick up in contest prep, that routine that's locked in are things that we should just be continuing into off season, right? The things that don't change, which that routine is huge. And routine is is a great way to just stay on track with things like you have to do xyz before you get back to a or whatever it may be so before i eat meal one or sit down at the computer i have to do whatever it may be my my step walking or maybe it's my prehab rehab routine or those things are just always always in place um what what other areas are you saying that slips off like i know for one like activity level can decline yeah, so like activity level and even just like the way that we approach, I, I've even seen that the way we approach training sessions starts to become different, right? Like you get caught up in like the cycle of life and it's just like running into the gym and, and not really paying attention to the details of like how we approach training from like a injury management standpoint. Like performance is driving up. We're taking those progressions within a gym setting. We get a little bit egotistical about the fact that we have our our, our – our performance metrics starting to come back a little bit and we start to let the actual execution side, which I think sets the framework of actually making progress across an off season start to slip. And that lackadaisical like habits of during the day lets that slip because we want like the IG video of, of, 
pushing a lot of weight because we've been doing taking large progressions on a week to week basis, um, especially like with the reintroduction of patterns. I'll see this. So like commonly you'll see like internalized stability squat patterns or basically internally stabilized patterns slowly start to pull off towards the end of a prep. And then once they're reintroduced, it's like fresh, clean slate for the person. And then like there's the learning period where they take the large jumps and then the dumbbell press with one tens that was clean becomes a dumbbell press with one fifties. It's like a quarter rep or a half rep or whatever it may be. Um, and, and just checking that ego at the door because we need to approach it with the same level of execution that we would within a prep, right? Because you, you typically don't in a prep see, or I don't see as often other than like trying to get through like prep-based fatigue, things start to slide because they know that every day counts. And then it's, we start to not track the individual uh, the single joint exercises towards the end of the session because we're only just tracking our compounds. It doesn't mean as much to us and those kinds of things. And so like every single aspect of the off season starts to not have the same attention that we would expect if it was in like a contest prep setting. Yeah. I know with, with the time that we commit into a prep and off season, you hope to get some of that time back. Uh, many are like running into the gym, like you said, and a big thing I think is that all the prep work before you go into a session, whatever your normal routine is, if it's like foam rolling or then going through some like mobilization and stabilization drills, and then you're going to go do your lift and, and all that has setting up a session that starts to really get cut down and are like, Oh, I'm running late. Screw it. I won't do the prep work. I'll just warm up in, in my lift. And you know, that's one aspect and I, you know, I can be, I'll be honest. I've done it too. I've had have sessions like that, or where stuff just drops off, and then you're in a situation where you have more food and more ability to drive performance up, and you're not doing the prep work, you're setting yourself up for like injury and uh, accumulation problems to occur. So, around connective tissue, um, and then yeah, you're yeah, absolutely right with with uh, seeing those strength increases and kind of there's a shift in focus too, right? Like in training, you're kind of like trying to hold on. And now you you have this focus of like progress the log book. And so every time it's like beating the book. And so it just gets a, gets a, it's an exciting thing to look at and have happen, but you can chase it down to a, to a bad place in the end. So, so yeah, I think yeah. Keep, keeping your, uh, your prep work in, in place, keep tracking um, just like you would within contest prep. And it's easy stuff to do. It really is. It just takes a, a slight bit of time between sets. Um, but those are the little boxes that add up a lot, you know? Yeah, I think, too, like with the mobility work, our off-season is our opportunity to gain access to places we may not have had in the past because we do have that recovery capacity to spend time doing these extra things that may gain us access to these different places. Um, and, and not only from a performance standpoint of, of gaining access to maybe areas we haven't had, but from a posing standpoint, like one for me that we've talked about before is like more external rotation access with scapular mobility, allowing for like my front double, my back double to be a lot better shots when I actually pose them. And that's probably like one of the biggest things that I am trying to obsess over this year um, when it comes to like state keeping the prep work in at a level that is progressing that portion um, and almost treating it like a, 
logbook within itself and like trying to gain more access on a week-to-week basis obviously the acute change is a lot less than we might be able to track within a a session type of setting but it's still trying to treat that with the same capacity of progression over time that we would with the sessions um that's a concept that i don't really overly see used um, within the framework of bodybuilding as well is like having that progression over time and even like looking to progress the modality in which becomes prep work so like we look at like internal rotation access and how we're getting into that internal rotation access and something as simple as being able to maintain that back leg under yourself through the spectrum of a split squat like starting front foot elevated and then being able to keep it under you through the spectrum of like front foot elevated stationary lunge into rear foot elevated shows a large gain in capacity of internal rotation of that femur as we are able to do it to a higher level throughout that throughout that pendulum of that spectrum so things like that like if you can keep alignment and access to full depth without issues on a rfe when you were having trouble with the front foot elevated at the start of the off season like that's a big performance jump elsewhere within the sessions as well that was tracked and managed within how we were going through the uh access points of like the iterations that are progressions on the prep work. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting because you have a greater ability in the off season to get that mobility back and function within it. At the same time, what I've I've noticed as well, because this is a lot of stuff that I didn't know to do years ago, is like with body weight moving up pretty rapidly in a post show period, you lose a lot of that mobility at a very fast rate. Um, so even though you're like, cool, I have all this idea behind Like, I'm going to do all this prep work, gain mobility and stabilization, maybe able to grab onto some new tissue, have better posing, but then you gain like 30 pounds. You're like, holy shit. I now I have even less mobility. So I think it's even more so like to stay on it, especially when you're gaining fast. And I think it goes to another point of not trying to gain too fast, um, because you won't have that adaptation of gaining mobility and, and strength within those ranges at the rate of weight gain. That's just too rapid to, to, to change. And the other sense, the other stuff changes really slow. Um, and so there's a balance there. So you, you now have like the ability to make those adaptations, but also you have so much more muscle mass that it's, it's hard to gain the access from another, just a limit, just a mass limitation standpoint. Um, and I, and also like I, I completely agree. It's and it's also that ego point of view. Like you come from prep and you have these same movement patterns that have been in place, but maybe you haven't addressed issues like you're saying, like getting in a squat and being able to internally rotate the the leg. Um, and that's the same for myself. Like I've had I've gone back to a squat pattern and using a split squat, but I'm terrible at it. Like I'm so weak, it's pathetic. Uh, and, um, and because I will compensate if I, if I just try to muscle it up, but it's a long-term vision of if I can strengthen in this range is the way I'm supposed to be, it's going to give me more output for later on down the road and also injury prevention. So, and then the other point is, is that even though my loads have dropped back significantly, um, you also can get a lot from a little right now. So if you're going to do it now, now is the time to, to step back, look at your training of like what, what areas you really need to improve on functional wise. So you can then give back to like high output levels in your other patterns, but. Yeah. And 
And doing that kind of stuff makes you really aware of the internal stimulus too, right? Of like load creating that internal stimulus that you can with whatever you have access to, which I think yeah. is important because it's like that's what checks the ego. It's like that was one of the – you had posted the squat the other day and that was one of the biggest things on that comment was like the load may not be the IG impressive part, but the internal stimulus is really high, right? Yeah, man. Like I, I did a squat and it's like I don't care. I, I don't – I don't want to have to squat 500 pounds. Um, if it gets there, it gets there, but that's not my goal. It, my goal is just to make the quads grow. So if I make it happen with 200 pounds, well, I think that's awesome. Um, but even doing that squat pattern, like my quads were full blown. Like it was ridiculous. Not that we're just chasing, chasing pump, but um, regardless, that internal stimulus had to be really, really high uh, doing, doing that pattern. So uh, you know, I think fo- focusing on what we truly are in bodybuilding, you know, giving giving the internal stimulus and looking for those cues and, and then the load will progress organically over time. But uh, not to chase down a different different podcast. No. Topic. So I think that actually segues <laughs> into a perfect portion of like managing the off season, right, is you mentioned like quads being full blown, managing like your expectations with pump and, and like being able to stay sensitive to the training stimulus and. Because, like, what's the, the stereotypical thing we see is we get, like, 15, 17, 19, 20 weeks into the off season, and then you see, like, pumps start to diminish. You're maybe getting sleepy after meals, like, these kinds of things, and starting to lay that framework of managing that portion of off season because, like, to not parrot, like, the the uh, the, the popular terms, but, like, Food sensitivity, insulin sensitivity, and and managing body competence in an off season is a portion of making the most of your off season when we look at it um, across the long term spectrum. Yeah, and I mean, I no, I, I know, and people get really we get really harped up on insulin sensitivity, but it probably more so is is a, a combo of things, just accumulating body fat too quickly. You drive up a lot of inflammation on top of all the variables that drive that up, high food intake, high body weight, high PED usage. And eventually you just have to pull back because you're, you're just, you, you have all those things occurring, like insulin resistance. You're not partitioning food uh, as in an optimal state. Now you have more body fat gain. Um, pumps are diminishing, which also makes kind of like your, your um, intention within the muscle kind of diminish too. You just don't have that connection as much anymore. And so, uh, you know, how do you keep that? how do you extend that? And that's what people want to do. And it's usually just, just what we're talking about here is locking down those little minuscule routine things that all start adding up to one, but uh, a big one with, within that routine. So we're talking for one, like training, we, we discussed that, but uh, the recovery aspect is a big one. Um, and I, I think sleep routine is one that can really get off in off season which has a big impact into keeping that uh, insulin sensitivity because we see even one night of lower sleep can cause a, a pretty large increase in insulin resistance the following day, uh, greater glucose area under the curve and insulin level under the curve. So just having less sleep routine is a big one. It's going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time, making sure the sleep is still quality sleep too. 
And it's easy in the off season to, you know, you want to go out and have fun and, and, you know, sure you, you can do that. Um, but if you're having, if it's very, very frequent, it, you won't be as productive in your off season and you're going to drive up more of those issues of, you know, having fatigue going into your training sessions because you got poor sleep and then your training sessions poor, you don't, you're not getting good pumps. Um, and that just is a cascade. See like one night of poor sleep can throw off insulin resistance for like, uh, insulin sensitivity for several days. Um, so it's not just the immediate right after it's, it's it was lingering for several days after. And just to like make a point here, like this also alludes to the next Netflix episode, watching that kind of thing and letting it bleed into your sleep routine. Right. Cause like some of us aren't like really big going out people. It's like, just, you just happen to stay up a little bit later because you, have a little more energy or you want to stay up and watch the next episode because Netflix is a genius with the branding and having the next episode thing in the corner, just <laughs> tick along and you uh, kind of go that way. But like, that's my point, right? It's like not letting those things slip. And um, that goes for the morning routine as well. Like, I think it was really good that you said like doing X, Y, Z before you do a, like, especially like for the first step of the day, like before meal one, because it sets the tone for the rest of the day and continuing the execution of those things that have to get done. Maybe it should. I should have said you should do A, B, C before you do Z. Whatever. I, was, I thought you were just restarting the day. Because <laughs> I said X first anyway. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, sleep falls off. That's that's definitely for one. Um, I think also with within that recovery aspect, uh, managing your day and stress just in general, which if you are getting busier at work, you might have less time given to like that relaxation or just being more mindful throughout the day of your emotional reactions that can happen. Or my, I think it could swing the opposite way. I think it's just really job dependent where someone's at in their life. I just see it all over the place because some people get more food and prep does take a lot of our time away. So it actually is a kind of a stress relief in a sense, but for others, they're back to the daily grind and that can kind of consumes them. And then with them not putting as much focus into all the normal bodybuilding variables, that more focus on other areas of their life uh, can be more stressful and, and drive, you know, less recovery in that instance. So I don't know, just, just one thing to con consider within that. I think the next one would probably be regarding food, which is a big one. Yeah, I think, I think the food thing is a big one because especially like managing digestion as food goes up. Because like we come out of this prep, like we're trying to find everything that can fill our stomach and have us not be hungry. And then we kind of finish the post-show phase and that hunger signaling is starting to go down. We're still probably using rather normal foods. And then we get into like all season and like some of our peak weights and it's like, yeah, I've got a fork or a spoon in my hand at all portions of the day, right? And it's like, yeah. where do we manage the differentials between like food options, food choices, and, and keeping digestion moving where we can continue to get the food down and some, some conversations around that about like choosing the right food options in order to, to move forward. Cause like, I don't, I don't know about you, John, but I fucking love the pride cream of rice. Like during a contest prep, there is not anything that is like more valuable in my life than that stuff right now. Like, 246, 247 foods, the highest it's been in a long time. I can't look at a bag of pride cream of rice right now because like the strong, <laughs> sweet flavoring, I just can't do it. It's like so much. 
Um, and it's like those kinds of things where it's like learning to find the food options that are allowed to, to kind of get in and maybe touch on some of that as well. Yeah, I'm not there with yet with you. <laughs> <laughs> so like my thing in, all, in, in prep was uh, oatmeal or oat powder and like make way and making my like oat pumpkin cakes. They People just think I'm just all about oat, oats and pumpkin, but um and so like i and i had great gi function on prep on this prep so i kind of made sure as carbohydrate lowered i would increase fiber and through more you know um fiber sources and going into off season well you're now increasing carbohydrate if you stick with those sources you can have a lot of fiber and a high very high amount of fiber and that can really slow down digestion so it's the same thing goes as, as when you're tapering back up food that you're being mindful of the carbohydrate sources that you're selecting so you're not really driving up a lot of fiber and slowing down digestion some people might not get to that point though and i, I know people that have like still a good amount of food yet hunger signaling is still like within reason and they can handle those food choices so that's per that's perfectly fine um, I've already made some shifts. So I was doing, at one point in prep, I was doing, you know, chicken and oats, the most, you know, the sati I could get out of a meal post-workout. Then I went back down to cream of rice um, because it just sits too long with me for the volume of food that I have to have in place. So it's like making those transitions to foods that keep digestion moving, keep appetite and hunger signaling up. So you still have the capability to, to now, you know, consume, consume more food and keep digestion intact. I do think at some point though, there is just a level of food. And I was having a conversation with Austin Stout on our, our IG live. We did like, there's a level of food intake that we're just not made to like push. That's not made to handle. And yeah. you're going to have a trouble when, and especially getting to a point like where you're at Luke, where you're having to push body weight and it's fighting against you more it's it's going to be a, a struggle either way, even if you're picking all the right food sources. Um, and I think that well, gives like you some strategies it. like Austin had were, that were really good. Yeah, we'll go go with it. Yes. Yeah, uh, I guess before I go there, like he had some supplements, but I mean, um, I would also just, since I touched on carbs, just bring up like proteins. I think moving from uh, on protein one. sources, you could implement more whey. I think that's perfectly acceptable. Um, or even moving for more like ground meats that already have that mechanical digestion in place makes yeah, it easier. Uh, or even uh, fish. I think fish is a great option, low connective tissue. Uh, so it's, for one, e easy to chew, easy to digest, and then also not overdoing the fat sources. So I, I just tend to program with fats on the lower to moderate side and drive carbs primarily. Um, but I think it's, it's easier for us in off season, especially if you're getting kind of lazy on your food sources to let extra fats come in and just slow down digestive processes. So I think we'll yeah, make think, sure we yeah. touch on untracked meals, but, um, yeah, I know, think one of the things, food sources? yeah, it's so like on the, on the fat source side, um, is like choosing the right fat sources, like. In in contest prep, you're like avocado and peanut butter, like anything that's like whole food source based and like shifting towards things like whole eggs and like oils, like olive oils, coconut oils, things like that, where we can get it in rather seamlessly, especially like, like I, I'm glad you brought up the, the ground meats type thing, like the ground turkeys, the ground beasts, like 
a meal, one of my favorite meals is, is like ground turkey rice with olive oil. You just mix it up and it's like so easy to get down, right? Um, I'm still not quite past the haunting of ground turkey from the San Antonio trip, but it used to be one of my favorite <laughs> meals. Um, but I think that like choosing those kinds of things is, is important and not going too far down the spectrum of processed foods to allow for like getting food in. Like, I think there is a point where we can allow some, but I think where there is like, we're going to drive some chronic GI issues just from an inflammatory standpoint. If we go too far down that spectrum as well, like we're almost every single meal is having like slightly more highly processed foods within that. I think that there is like scope to not go down that route and like, because I, I seen like, especially for some of the like extreme in range people where carbohydrates are getting to 850, 900, 950. It's like every meal has like rice crispy treats in or something along those lines to just try to get to the food volume level. And it's like, man, we, we probably would make more progress taking a step back and then moving forward again without having to drive such net uh, overall like processed food, like systemic inflammation from food like that. And that kind of leads into using meals off plan to drive caloric load. Like that's another one that I think is a, a big issue with like these large, large meal influxes that are going to drive the long-term resistance across like the next 24 hours or even yeah. 36, depending on how ham you go. Um, I don't think that that's a strategy that should be overly implemented as well. Yeah, I think there there's some room for some some Not processed me. foods if you want to do it. I mean, it, it is off season and calorie intake's that high. Sure, a lot for some. That's perfectly fine. But I think you're right. Like when it gets excessive, is when it be, can become a problem and drive you to a place of having more insulin resistance and inflammation than you want to. And there, I post there's a there's a, actually a good paper. I won't remember the name of it. It's not my thing. <laughs> on on actually just overfeeding. In general, just looking at different surpluses, looking at different macronutrients, and uh, it looks like overfeeding with a higher amount of fructose versus glucose drives more insulin resistance. And we see this in in like um, more obese individuals that, and especially those with just more added sugars into the diet, that fructose tends to increase more, um, you know, fat fatty acid deposition in the liver. Um, increases visceral adipose tissue more so than if you were to consume just more of a glucose base and not saying not to have fruit. Uh, most fruit isn't that high just in fructose. This is we're talking about uh, like high fructose corn syrup, which you're getting out of more of these processed quick carbohydrate sources. The same thing goes for um, saturated fat versus uh, linoleic acid or more of your you know poly and monounsaturated fatty acids. It looks like a high saturated fat fat intake might have more disposition into leading to insulin resistance than if you're doing more of the mono and polyunsaturated fatty acids. But I mean, that, that gets a little bit nuanced. I think still big picture, what you're talking about is that an overall excessive calorie intake way past the surplus you need is going to be the, the big bucket thing that is going to drive you to a place where you're not as productive in the off season. So like you said, Luke, one of the biggest things is more untracked meals coming in and you have one day that it has a meal that's like two, 3000 calories and you're having to make up for it all week or you don't make up for it all week. And, and then you're just having overall average calorie intake that has risen. 
Um, and the sucky part is, is like, if you are trying to make up for it, is that maybe on those other days, you're actually probably at a maintenance calorie level. And that's not even a productive spot for being to grow, you know? And so what does that look like? Well, it probably means you're going to accrue less muscle tissue and probably a lot more fat gain. You gain fat on that one day, and then you're not going to have adequate calorie intake for supporting growth the rest of the days, which is pretty shitty, shitty spot. And I think those are easy to slip in. Um, I even know it happened within this past uh, post-show period for me because I look at my 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 average calorie intake, how it rose over prep. It went from like 2,500 to about 3,500 calories. But I'm at a point now where that 3,500 calories will actually start almost dropping weight. But my untracked meals have reduced significantly. Um, and I think if I actually had accurate calorie tracking, I just had a massive surplus in the beginning. And then I think it's tapered down uh realistically versus like oh yeah you increase food i, I probably had been decreasing food because of the amount of untracked meals that i had I, I don't think people will uh account for it that way maybe be honest about it that way so but yeah i needed it anyway i needed to gain fat so i did that goal but um yeah the untracked meal so how do you even manage that what is what does that even look like for us in the, in the off season uh i think for me it's like the association that you have with the untracked meal it's like trying to create the the environment that makes it more about the people that you're with is probably and that almost brings us back to like the holiday podcast right but making it more about like who you're enjoying the meal with rather than like obsessing over the food that you're going to have um and and from there like enjoying the food but making smart decisions like when mitch won the overall this weekend like I wasn't not going to let him celebrate and like even though, I mean I know he's got nationals next in two weeks but um we went and had sushi and it's like I had the approximation of Nigeria that I thought that you know would um be pretty close to my meal and then I split two rolls with Emily like I still enjoyed something that would be like the roll and something we would order but then didn't really drive a whole lot of like excess calorie intake because I was eating tuna and rice for the rest of the, the caloric intake. Right. Um, and, and it's not that you have to go that strict. That's just what I prefer. And so like going down that route of like making smarter decisions in, in the meal and making it more about the experience because the experience is actually what you get to hang on to. And, and the food is not, it's just so temporary. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a point that I've come to like within my own prep that I've had coaching in the past and they tell you to eat chicken, rice and broccoli and you eat chicken, rice and broccoli. Cause that's what's on the plan to now like coaching myself where I have, I, I don't want to say I do flexible dieting. I don't want to say that, but I have um, choices within my foods that I could move around um, whether it's, and these are saying like, Hey, I want oats versus or potato this meal. It's like whole, whole food, wholesome foods. And I've done that on prep to a, to a certain extent to where I'm always enjoying my food. Um, and I have, and I take the time to prepare it. I think if you have the time to do so, that's, that's, you know, excellent rather than when you're on prep and you hate your food, then finally you can get to off season and have all this high palatability food. Um, that way for me, it's a very seamless transition because my prep food to off season food doesn't really change. Um, and, and, and that preparation process for it. Uh, and also just having, I think it is a time, like, of course I get, I have a more of a strict food list that I go from and it's pretty much gets preset and prep, but then that list can expand a little bit. And I think it's important to have variety. 
and you could look I like I use I've been using chronometer now this past week um, just to yep. log food good out and uh, if you know I want some different type of carbohydrate I can pull it up and pl- plug it in, plug it in and then it gives you my totals for the day but I think for some individuals if they don't have that flexibility it can lead to poor diet adherence some people love a strict plan and and they do, and they gives them anxiety not having it. Um, I still want to build that person into having some type of flexibility because there's life beyond bodybuilding. Um, and you're not going to weigh your food for the rest of your life. I hope not. Uh, so, you know, I think it's some teaching skills that needs to happen within those individuals, but this is a time where we can build in some, some variety and enjoy food, but you still need to do it within the context that we have outcomes that we want to produce in our bodybuilding goals. And it's going to be different levels for everyone. So like, for instance, for you, Luke, um, you know, if you went out and had like a 2000 calorie, like pizza meal that you would rapidly get to a point where you've kind of reached the end marks for body fat where you have to diet. Right. And so, you know, now like, Hey, I can eat this much and that will regulate me. And you don't need to like, you can listen to your own hunger cues, um, or, or someone else that maybe they can absolutely have those meals. Um, and it doesn't take them to a, a place that's like that. Others might not even have that. And we need to set macro targets or calorie limits when they're having meals that they they want so yep. it's there'll be variability within that but i think you know within that constructs of like hey we're still bodybuilding we still have goals that we're trying to achieve that we have a, a right amount of flexibility present that allows you to just keep pursuing towards that goal and um uh, yeah i think uh i think it's it's doable for all of us it's just the level that we need, need to do it to and, and building in that flexibility too, like having those meals that you make at home, like I think that's one of the, the coolest things ever is like macro matching the meal off plan for like a homemade chicken barbecue pizza or something like that, yeah. right? Like being able to fit that within your day and maybe just like move some calories around where you can have that and enjoy that. And shit, half the fun of that is making it with whoever your significant other is or other oh, yeah. people or something like that. Um, being able to do that and still keep within the confines of your goal. Like I guarantee you the next morning you wake up probably saying right around the same body weight, hunger signaling, still all there. Like it's not an issue. Right. So like the knowing those things are available as well within the flexibility of off season, it's like not just the food options. It's like those kinds of things. Like, and, and for an example, for people like uh, John on my plan has my post-workout meal is like 140 grams of carbs with 15 grams of fat and whey. Um, and like, I'll swap that out pretty frequently. Like one day I'll do bagels with, you know, jelly. And then the next one I'll do like cream of rice and just like really whatever I'm feeling is kind of like how I go about that. And just make sure that the macros align to that post-workout meal. Right. Because it's, we have that flexibility to build those foods in and be able to have whatever it is that we have. And sometimes it's because we just suck at grocery shopping. Sometimes we don't have bagels <laughs> in the house or something. But, <laughs> but, you know, a lot of times it's because like you want some certain food item. And I think there's a lot of value in that because um, a lot of people go into prep not being able to have like the ability to move foods in and out like you were coaching yourself, right? Because they just don't yeah. have the skills to do that. Yeah, and I think it's important. Like we, we try to teach people those skills. So in the off season, if I have someone that had a strict plan, I'll try to eventually get them, hey, on this meal, like our f- first starting with like a variety of options, like three options for macros. So they can see that, yeah. they can see like rotate things out. Um, but then I'll say, hey, for this one meal, I want you to use this app and try to like come up with your your own thing so they can start practicing those things on their own. Otherwise, it's uh-huh. just like 
you know, you, you read, you read an instruction manual and you put it together, then, you know, you don't know really if you could do it on your own. Right. Um, but yeah, I think those are, those are helpful strategies. Um, even with uh, what, how Renee and I usually do it for foods. We know that we would go out like for me to go eat pizza every week is absolutely, I can't do it. Like I would be totally fat, very fast. Uh, so like at home, we're like, well, let's come up a way where we can make our pizza. And so that way we have this macro match pizza. But if we do go out to restaurants, it's usually going out to restaurants that we also know that aren't going to send us way off track. So we're not, ever, we, we rarely ever go out for a burger or pizza. It's usually going out for sushi. Cause that's a very controllable thing. It's, it's, it's lower and lower in fat. We can make it that way or fajitas, um, or even like Greek food or steak and veggies like these are our restaurants we go to um and we can get stuff we really like but also we can really control the calorie intake doing so um but the other stuff that's like way off plan like it's rare that we would ever go do it if anything we just try to make make something at home that kind of get gets it hits hits the spot you know but it's not going to be loaded with fat (laughs) yeah and i think i think that that's kind of like where we start to talk about the conversation of having that awareness too of that, like people just maybe not be fully aware of the fact of the differentials between going out and having the burger and the pizza versus going out and having sushi. Like they, they just see it as the meal off plan. And it's not like, man, like you just went like fucking deep. Like, and I've seen people do it at sushi too. It's like six fried rolls. It's like, Oh man, like, come on now. Might as well have a pizza, Uh, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, well, it's it's but, it's funny you mentioned that like about going out. I went when I went with my dad to Santa Fe. Um, it, it was the most laxed I've been. Like I didn't I didn't take. I took a little bit of food with me, but I was like, I'm just going to go out to restaurants and eat with my dad. And um, I was like, I can make stuff work. And so I went to one place. I was like egg egg whites, like nothing on them, just you know. And they came out and they like I'm like, why is there why is it look oily like because they're cooking the egg whites with all the other shit, you know, and I could taste the fat. I'm like, this is not egg whites. Cause I cook them at home every day. Um, but I have people on, on prep that would go out to a restaurant and say like, Oh no. But I tell them like no oil, no butter. It's just like getting like steak and vegetables. And like, man, you can, I tell you, you cannot trust a restaurant at all about what they're doing back there. Even though you think you're ordering it, um, exactly how you would you'd be trying to make it at home. It's never the case. And so you have to realize that going out to restaurants for a prep. It's, I think it's just, you can't even do it just because of the risk there and we have to be strict, but going out in off season, there's easy ways to make your food like enjoyable, but cut a lot off, right? Like I don't need the, the steak with like steak butter on top. Like I never eat that stuff. So it's like sway beyond like, uh, it's like a, a fat overload when I taste something like that. Um, but yeah, just be, be mindful when you are, when you are ordering. And when we look at like productivity across an off season, it's like these conversations are what extend our ability to continue to drive food up over time and take those progressions over a longer period of time. Because like eventually there's going to be a point where you have to pull the surplus back. Like, and the more we can take progress without pulling that point as far up or up faster, it's like that's where the best off seasons happen is where we're able to progress on a week to week basis over a longer period of time. 
um, because we're, we're making those good decisions on a week to week basis. Yeah. I, I, I know earlier I brought up about Austin, like some digestive aids and stuff that he was using for when food gets really high, that might be a, its own podcast on its own. Um, yeah. It, 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 just so people like, well, what was it, John? Cause you said it. Um, and, and like for guys that were like pushing food, like there was some things that Austin always has in place. If you don't know Austin Stout, he's like notorious for having, having to have lots of food to even grow. But, um, you know, one was he's usually using betaine HCL to drive mm-hmm. up his st- stomach acidity. Also zinc carnosine for, um, parietal cells in the stomach to continue being productive and producing um, gastric a- acids and juices. Uh, then also tutka uh, for for um, bile flow, and then also mm-hmm. being a source of bile, and then also uh, DAO um, to lower histamine levels. Um, and uh-huh. Yeah. And so in off season, if your, your levels are getting higher, it can drive up histamine level. Um, and so it's kind of a, a multi-prong approach uh, for the common things that we get in off season when you're getting like reflux and food just feels like it's like getting more gassy and bloated. Um, if you like foods just sitting up in that upper GI tract, like those are a few items that he has as a, a prophylactic strategy uh, already in place when food starting to get to that point. But that's a, uh, we could do a whole digestive episode just on. Yeah, something. we'll do a whole episode on that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think just, that covers uh, yeah. that covers most of what we would need as far as like maximizing all season. Yeah, pretty sure we hit most of the main points. Yeah, I think um, maybe uh, my 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 only one that I would come up to last, and it goes back to like partially with training, but also recovery is that I've been notorious for, I love training so much to not take time off or even deload. Um, I would never even deload. And I, I think as much as like we want to be progressive in our training and feel like any day not training is a step back, this is also the time period where you have that ability to step back. And so this isn't a reason where you have, you have t- I guess, two people that fall on, on both sides, right? The people that are already dropping off a lot of routine and maybe already missing gym sessions. But uh, there's also the extreme of that someone that's dialed in all year, but also is not willing to dial back on when they need to. And so this has been the case for me, but it's I've had days where like, just like um, my training session yesterday, I went in and just was loads felt heavy. It felt like shit. I was fatigued and I would normally just push through and grind and just keep going like that. And it was okay for me to just call it in the session and be like, you know what? Nope. I'm just going to uh, cut volume in half, not trained to not train at, at near failure, a few reps far from failure. And then I'll reassess tomorrow. And if I need to deload, I will, or take an extra rest day. Uh, past John would have done that. <laughs> so you know, this is the off season. We need to train and, and be productive, but also it's time where you can you can rest and recover, and, and that's very much needed. Yeah, I think having that objectivity to do that too is smart. That was like the Sunday for legs, was fucking wrecked from the show day. Like I was like five pounds lighter, like slightly dehydrated, like twenty. It was like twenty two or twenty three thousand steps that day at the show. And like going to legs, I was like, I, this is not going to be a good situation. <laughs> so I kind of pulled back on like top sets and, and 
just made sure that I drove the stimulus I needed to drive and got the fuck out of there. Um, <laughs> That's funny because man. I was I was not feeling it. <laughs> you know how you doing the warm ups and you're like, holy fuck, what is wrong with me? It's like things it's have been so going sad, so well. Isn't and, it? Gosh, it makes me feel like shit just mentally because I, I, I get so excited about training, but yeah, yeah. But this happened to me too. I, I told you, like, um, I had a buddy come over to help me with the car and we're like, all right, we'll go test drive it. And I nearly ran out of gas on the way to the gas station. Um, got there, got gas, but he's like, let me take you to the house and show you some of the other cars I have. Cool. Cool. Driving back the car, the alternator goes out. We are on the side of the road. Now it's like, I always, I already didn't think we we're going to go driving for that long, but man, I didn't have any food with me. I had no water with me. Um, and it was leg day. <laughs> so I ended up only having two meals and going to train at like 4 PM and it's, and it, it was a leg session. I just, and I smashed it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we did have an untracked meal afterwards, but man, that was the day that just dug me in a hole. And that was when this next push day, uh, was just total shit and go figure, go figure. It was because of that, you know? Um, so yeah. that was my mistake already of training all out. I should have just taken the rest day, but live and learn part of the off season. Just try to learn from it. <laughs> I, I did not make the John decision. So the show was supposed to end at <laughs> noon because it was a back to back show and we didn't leave the venue till 5 PM. Um, so I had all of two meals with me. I had like three quarters of a gallon of water by 5 PM. It's mm. like, I'm not fucking training fuck this shit yeah, good, <laughs> and then the next call. day was bad <laughs> but yeah. anyways i think uh i think that kind of wraps it up for like the productive all season it's like making sure that we're objective with like the long-term vision of like ticking the daily boxes and, and having that goal i think there's a lot of value in taking the time post show to map out not only the needs analysis but the approximate timeline you think you would need to get back on stage because it creates that urgency in the day-to-day -day that you know a prep is looming and you need to execute in order to get to an improved state before prep kind of comes back along um and so there there is a lot of value with that like um like with brandon like the first thing we did was talk about like when is it when is when is next time right like he lost to mitch in an overall it was a great showing his first show um and he was like ready to bite at the bit and i was like let's 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 talk about it and like get a get a plan in place and let's get moving right so that's kind of the thing that um i think it's a lot of value with having that that goal set there that timeline in order to drive that day-to-day -day as as we kind of get into what can be the lacks of an off season for some people yeah yeah completely setting your short-term goals long-term goals having those already in place so you have you don't have that lack of vision or lack of direction that makes mm -hmm. a lot of people just kind of uh, lo lose that, you know, drive moving forward. So no, I think that's, that's perfect. We covered everything, you know, getting off, getting off stage, having your direction that you're going to be headed, um, take carrying those great routine aspects that we had in prep into the off season and then, but still allowing some flexibility to come in, but amount of flexibility that doesn't also take away from our ultimate short-term and long-term goals that we already set out so let yeah. your variability work within those kind confines of your your goals but uh anyway thank you everyone for tuning in um 
check out J3 University. We'll have the, uh, for more information on managing all these variables, we also have the applied hypertrophy course of looking how to make the most out of gaining access and working within a target muscles range and picking the right exercises for yourself. So check out J3 University. We have all those modules up there for you. Um, and like, subscribe, share, do all the great stuff. And thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time.